Welcome to FYI, the four-year innovation podcast. This show offers an intellectual discussion on technologically enabled disruption, because investing in innovation starts with understanding it. To learn more, visit arc-invest.com. Arc Invest is a registered investment advisor focused on investing in disruptive innovation. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. It does not constitute either explicitly or implicitly any provision of services or products by Arc. All statements made regarding companies or securities are strictly beliefs and points of view held by Arc or podcast guests and are not endorsements or recommendations by Arc to buy, sell, or hold any security. Clients of ARC Investment Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome back to ARC's four-year innovation podcast. Today we have James Wang, who normally hosts the podcast, on the other side of the table. How are you doing today, James? I'm doing well. How are you, Sam? Doing great. I just have a quick question for you. How'd you get your lunch today? I got it delivered via caviar. Interesting. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about food delivery and the opportunity ahead. So can you kind of just give us a broad context of internet companies making things easier? Sure. If you think about the most successful internet companies of the last decade or so, it's really about taking an existing experience that was typically done offline and making it uh, much easier by converting it into an internet experience. So whether it's Amazon or Netflix or Uber, they've taken something that used to require the customer to do a bunch of work, whether it's going to the supermarket to buy a bunch of groceries or books, or standing on the side streets of New York on a cold day and trying to hail down a cab, and turn that into a push-button user experience. So on Amazon, you just select whatever items you want, click checkout, two days it's in front of your door, on Expedia, instead of calling travel agents, uh, you know, back in the day, that's what you had to do. Uh, you just type in your destination and you can pick whichever date you want to fly at a different points, different price points. And for Uber, it's just basically opening the app and pressing a button. So everything that used to require a lot of offline work, often just masked in terms of what the customer has to do, uh, now was subsumed through these very easy to use push button internet services. And you know Ben Evans uh, of Andreessen Horowitz wrote a great essay called The Beginning of the End, which is to say kind of the first wave of lightweight business models for the internet has kind of started to mature. And the future really is going to require us to kind of build businesses that's around kind of moving atoms rather than bits. And a lot of this will be kind of in the way of delivering actual physical items. Um, the first wave we've had that with books. This wave, I think, a, a very large market that should be tackled, that's kind of in the progress of being tackled, is food delivery, which includes everything from groceries to fully prepared meals, which I think is actually a very interesting opportunity. All right. So all of this has been happening with internet companies. Is food delivery late to the game or is now just a time when it's ready to take off? How is this evolving? What's happening now that's allowing this to take shape? Yeah, so restaurant deliveries like like Uber Eats, Grubhub, DoorDash in the West are starting to really gain a lot of momentum. And I think a really good question is, why is it happening now? I think a key answer to why is it happening now is a mobile penetration has reached a critical threshold where we're actually very comfortable buying all kinds of goods and services on our phones. And the second one is Uber has really kind of pioneered this model of activating a bottoms-up workforce for transportation transporting really anything from point A to point B. And once that became a kind of norm for, for kind of society, 
the idea is, you know, we don't have to just drive people. We can drive anything from or or cycle anything from point A to point B, and that's made food delivery, especially from restaurants, very real. If you think about why this didn't exist before, there are you know hundreds of thousands of restaurants in the United States, and for for most of them, delivery is not what they're in business for. They they open a restaurant to serve customers on premise, and they're not really geared. Or really, they don't really spend time thinking about: Do I want to hire drivers and manage drivers and manage dispatch? And and that whole infrastructure is is very complicated, and most do not want to be involved. So companies like DoorDash and Grubhub are really in the business of being a platform for any restaurant to have delivery capabilities. So their delivery and online ordering as a service, and that in, that creates a very interesting dynamic because they become. The marketplaces themselves, and anytime where we see a marketplace business, we have very attractive economics. Hotels individually are not very attractive businesses, but Booking.com is is one of the most valuable internet companies in the world because they aggregate all the hotels in the world. And for the same reason, companies like Grubhub and Uber Eats aggregate the majority of the restaurants in their respective regions. And they get to take a economic share out of every order placed on their platform. While we're on the business model, I think it's super interesting to actually dive in deeper because you talk about internet companies. Everyone says network effect, but when you look at these food aggregation businesses, it's not just a two-sided network. It's actually far more complicated than that. Can you dive into that a little bit? Yes, these are three-sided networks. So normally, like for e-commerce, it's two-sided. You have the vendors and the customers, like eBay. In this case, you have the vendors who are the restaurants, and having the most number of restaurants is super important for selection. So customers will come to your platform. The other side of the network are the customers, and of course, only if if only you unless you have customers, restaurants are not going to sign up. So you have this classic chicken and the egg problem. And the third-sided network are the delivery drivers themselves. Because if you don't have these people, you can't actually realize the connection between these two. So this is a business that's fueled by a three-sided network, kind of the company that has the best selection combination of restaurants and drivers and customers are in the kind of strongest mode position. And so, how do you kind of beat this chicken and the egg problem? Have we seen anyone new emerge and take market share? How are the competitive dynamics playing out between the existing players, both in the U.S. and abroad? Yeah, in the U.S., the kind of first wave of online food ordering, even without delivery, came from companies like Seamless in New York and Grubhub in Chicago. They eventually merged. They were initially very lightweight, even not delivery companies. They just provided online ordering for restaurants. Now they were kind of lead generation for restaurants, and restaurants sometimes will have their own delivery persons, and they will just do that themselves. So that was the first generation, and over time. We've seen a wave of startups in the food delivery business. In the kind of 2010, 2012 era, we've had like everything from DoorDash to Bento Box to Rocket Spoon, Spoon Rocket, and a lot of those have kind of gone away. But the ones that just focus on delivery have done very well. So DoorDash, Postmates are kind of two private companies, unicorn status. That's that's raising large rounds and doing very well, and they really pioneered the concept of we're going to do delivery as a service. So. Grubhub caught on to that, and they've been moving toward that model. So today, they really offer a hybrid service that would do just pure online ordering for you. 
with letting the restaurants manage their own delivery fleet. Or if you don't have a delivery fleet, they will provide one for you. So they've kind of transitioned to this kind of version 2.0 of the business. So the major change in in kind of market dynamic has been in the US at least, Grubhub is is has traditionally been by far the largest in market share. But recently Uber Eats has been growing very quickly and taking a lot of share. You mentioned how do these companies solve the chicken and egg problem. For Grubhub, their starting point was acquiring restaurants. And from restaurants, it got customers and customers to drivers. For Uber Eats, they are leveraging, of course, on Uber. So they have drivers already. They just need to acquire restaurants and they have customers already. So they just, they're going integrating backwards toward restaurants. And they've done that very well. One way to grow very quickly in this industry is to partner with large chains and Uber Eats has partnered with McDonald's to deliver pretty much across their chain, and that's helped them drive a lot of gross sales. And it's, you know, your enemies, enemies, your friends. So Grubhub predictably partnered with Yum Eats, which has everything from KFC to Taco Bell, and they're ramping very quickly there as well. So we're seeing kind of delivery platforms partner with the existing kind of legacy food installed base who are not geared for delivery and really help them actually drive some business growth when the restaurant business has been kind of pretty flat for, for a while now. And so right there, we're just talking US centric, but you actually told me something earlier that kind of blew my mind. What are we looking at when we talk about China? China is really where food delivery has exploded. I think when you look at markets and businesses where it's very sensitive to kind of cultural norms. This can have this can have a huge in, amount of impact. Meituan delivers roughly. Meituan is the leading food restaurant delivery service in China with their own fleet of bikes and and drive and drivers. They deliver more meals in China in a single day than Grubhub delivers in a whole month in the U.S. So that's like a thirty x difference. And the U.S. and China do, does not do not have a thirty x population difference. So in China where consumers adopt new kind of internet usage patterns very quickly, very willingly, you can have usage models just take off. And, and food delivery has basically made Meituan kind of the, the, the fourth horseman, if you will, in the Chinese internet landscape, where traditionally it's been basically Alibaba, Tencent, Baidu. Meituan has really emerged as the fourth strongest contender. That's pretty incredible. So where would you say we are today as far as penetration for food delivery? I think we're pretty early. It really depends on how far you think this can go. Is this a niche use case of, you know, some days we just don't feel like cooking and we'll get some food delivered to our homes? Or could this actually be a candidate for replacing this whole, you know, multi-hundred year habit of, of cooking our own food? I think there is a reasonable case to be made that it, it could potentially do that, right? So you're saying that at some point in the future, Maybe apartments in cities won't even waste space for a kitchenette or anything like that. It's wasted space in the home. It's, it's very plausible. We've seen forecasting user behavioral changes are very difficult, but we've seen, I went back and looked at all the, the spend and revenue data for, for kind of how the U.S. generates and consumes food. In 1986, uh, about a third of the value of all the food produced in the U.S. was self-produced. So it was grown by a farmer, uh, him or herself, uh, back in the day. And buying food was really 
at some point in human history, it was considered a luxury. And now the concept of growing your own food for your own consumption is, is, is just absurd, right? You would not consider that. Today, the US Statistics Bureau still publishes that it's less than 1%. So it's dropped from like 33% to 1%. And of course, on the workforce side, 200 years ago, 90% of the US and the world was engaged in agriculture. That was you know, trying to not be hungry was the goal of humanity for 99.9% of our history. And it's only recently that questions such as what do you feel like for dinner has even become a valid category of questions. That was just not something you asked back then. So if we can migrate as a society from individual farmers to nobody is a farmer, I think it's certainly plausible to say that in the future, we could get off this habit of oh, every week we have to go to a store and buy a bunch of food and then go home and then wash it, chop it, cook it, clean it. All that is is really work that no one desires to do as a, as a first order principle. I think Harvard Business Review has a study that says 90% of Americans are either ambivalent or, or hate cooking. So I think a lot of the what we presume to be in the, in the good sector eventually turning to services. For example, the US restaurant industry now accounts for generates more revenue than the food at home category basically groceries so that happened about 10 years ago um, that's an incredible statistic like we spend more here eating out than we do eating at home and it's not just it's it's really because that's not just food value it's a service and once you convert something to a service it's higher value so in terms of getting back to your original question the current penetration is low. If you add up all the revenue, the gross sales numbers from Caviar, from Grubhub, Uber Eats, it's on the order of $120 billion. And I have a blog with a chart that should be up soon with, with these stats. And if you assume kind of the global middle class that can be served by food delivery services in kind of urban city environments, that's about maybe two and a half billion people. If they order food delivery services once a week, that's about a trillion dollar market. That's just like one lunch meal, right? Very easy to achieve. If they use it three times a week, it's about $3 trillion. So based upon that, $120 billion is about you know 5% penetration today. So it's kind of like where internet travel was maybe 10, 15 years ago. It's showing a lot of convenience. It's very compelling. But most people haven't gotten on board. And now today, I think you know, online travel is just travel. We don't even make the distinction. That's pretty incredible. So we're 120 billion today, just three meals a week if you're getting that delivered, a $3 trillion opportunity. How quickly are we growing though? It depends on the platform, like some of the more mature ones. The slowest one I can find is growing 20% plus. That's uh, organic for Grubhub. The other ones, like uh, every region has their kind of hero. In Europe, it's called Deliver Hero. They're growing 40% plus. In China, Meituan is you know well over fifty. It is growing very very quickly. It's it's like an early stage SaaS company is, is kind of how it how it looks from the revenue side. And the way these businesses work is they they take a percentage uh, of of the food order sales. So any uh, the monetization rate for Grubhub is like twenty percent. So if you order ten dollars, you know that's like two dollars for them uh, on top. So they they take a very attractive kind of fee on top of this the penetration base of you know a trillion or three trillion dollars. And so we have it growing pretty rapidly, but what pushes adoption further? You know, is this unit economics that's driving the case? Is it the 10x better? What does the future look like? How do we get more people on board now that the ball has started rolling? That's a great question. I think if you look at China as an example, what's really made that market work is huge restaurant selection, uh, huge restaurant 
and really quick delivery. Meituan delivers all its meals under aim, roughly under half an hour, and a lot of incentives. No doubt about it. The reason why China has grown so quickly is because there is a kind of a food fight, so to speak, in the food delivery space there between Meituan and Ulama and some others historically. And the way they've tried to beat each other is by subsidizing meals. There are famous screenshots on Weibo of. You know, companies subsidizing the meals until the costs were negative. So it was,、uh, you get paid to have lunch on May twenty at one point. Sign me up. <laughs> And in the U.S., we haven't really had that, right? We've had Grubhub really just be kind of、uh, pretty rational with with the, with the offerings they have. This is a company that has a a gap net、uh, profit, which is rare for for many kind of growth stage companies. So they've trying to balance. They've been very mindful about balancing growth with with profitability, and that's kind of why the U.S. market, I think, is growing a bit slower. The other thing that we need is really, I think, some kind of cultural tipping point. Right now, I think most Americans would still consider these as kind of almost luxury, high discretionary spend, not a habit formation idea. In China, you know, half of Meituan's customers order more than three times a week. To them, it's it's like You know, it's like running water. You know, it's it's just food as a service. It remains to be seen if we can get that level of mind share in the U.S. and Europe, where a lot of the opportunity is. But it is encouraging that even Europe, which you know have conservative habits, generally speaking, and a and a very established dining norm, even in Europe, we've had two spectacular successes in terms of Delivery Hero and Just Eats, based in Germany and the U.K. respectively, that have gone public and and done very well. So I think we are at the early stages of this kind of、uh, formation change. If we can get the delivery cost lower, whether through autonomous vehicles,、uh, rover robots, maybe drones, even I think that would help a lot with, for consumer markets. Reducing cost generally has a very strong elasticity response. So I would love to see. When you think about solving autonomous driving for humans, the barrier is quite high, right? You need to ensure you do not kill people. If you're delivering pizza and you're moving modestly, not too fast, it's okay if you hurt the pizza. No one, there's no need for an, a level five pizza pizza car, right? Pizza rover. So, it seems like that would be a great application to get food delivered for hot food, even something as benign as coffee. Is a huge market in China to get to get coffee delivered, which Luckin' Coffee is the kind of upstart there. So, if we can use kind of drones, for example, to deliver coffee and and small items, and we have some kind of、uh, regulatory support for that, that could be very interesting. Almost anything that you desire to eat quickly in an urban environment, I think, could be delivered autonomously, and that would bring down the cost for the platforms and for the consumers. It's a pretty exciting future. Uh, one thing that you'd mentioned in your blog was dark kitchens. This kind of sounds sci-fi, futuristic. Can you talk about that concept? Yeah, dark kitchen sounds ominous, but it, it's it's well lit. <laughs> <laughs> it's also called cloud kitchens if you want a more positive image. All it is is that as these delivery platforms have gotten so popular, they have because they're the front end of customer fulfillment. They get to see all the orders and all the data of what people are. Trying to buy or buying, and if there is, and from this analytics, they can they can literally tell what kind of demand needs to be filled for a given region. For example, maybe the Flatiron New York 
1 p.m. crowd has a surge in chicken salads, and maybe only two restaurants in the area offer that. So they will work with restaurants and say, "We know there's latent demand for a thousand orders of chicken salads at this time. Will you do chicken salads? Or if you don't, we'll do a chicken salad. We'll, we'll just hire out a space, maybe in a basement." And we'll do nothing but chicken salads because we know there's that demand. And they've uh, companies like Uber Eats and, and and Grubhub have worked with private spaces and and kitchen vendors just to just to do that based on analytics, build out reverse back to menu, and then do fulfillment in a in a kitchen that is not branded, not sidewalk. So it's lower cost, and it it kind of fills demand in a way that. Individual restaurants cannot. If you're an individual restaurant, you do not have horizontal access to data, so that you know something is missing or something is in high demand. You can only know it in, with respect to your own menu. But if you're Uber, you really have God's eye on all everyone's appetite for a given hour. It almost sounds like what Amazon has done with Amazon Basics. Yes, it's basically the kind of、uh, in-housing and white labeling of food. That's pretty incredible. And so we're talking about these dark kitchens. Are these going to be, you know, humans making all of these white labeled meals? Is there food service automation that's on its way? You talked about autonomous delivery. Is there anything that's happening behind, you know, the counter in the kitchen to make this more efficient from an automation perspective? It's starting to happen, and this is something you follow even more, Sam. But、uh, I mean, I would love to see. The kind of convergence of robotics and artificial intelligence actually produce some useful hardware that can help、uh, accelerate and just automate a lot of the redundant and repetitive work in the back of house kitchen. We've seen a few upstarts like Miso Robotics with that kind of famous、uh, Flippy robot, which can use computer vision to see what's on a, a flat top and and determine you know what's a patty, what's a beef, what's a bread bun, and and flip that. All that is still super early. We've seen them roll out in a couple of stores. They're kind of in and out equivalents in Southern California. I think if we can actually get it to work, and and it is challenging because the automation works best when you have simple tasks at volume. And the kitchen is just a bunch of miscellaneous tasks without a huge amount of volume. So you really need much more robust AI. And you know, God, I knows all the AI efforts are, are trying to solve this, but it's the 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 challenge of transfer transfer learning is is you know how can I learn one thing and then learn another thing without having to train another thousand times? That hasn't been solved. So without solving that, it's 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 challenging to get the robotics there. But we're making good progress. So. If we can solve transfer learning, apply that to AI with you know these robotic arms, these cobots that can work along humans, we could imagine a future where you know it's a it's a dark kitchen, it's a few humans guiding the robots, and they're just pumping out chicken salads like no tomorrow. Seems like you've really got a appetite for chicken salads over there. <laughs> I don't actually order chicken salads. <laughs> I just presume people like them. Fair, fair. It's because of Sweet Green's success, it's right? It's true. It's true. Sweet Green is just killing it here in New York. Yeah, that's that's another point that I I think is maybe this is just、uh, me over biasing on, on what I'm seeing around the streets of New York. But kind of if you think of the evolution of food, of fast food, it's definitely evolving toward a direction where it can be more and more a sustainable part of your diet.、Uh, the standard fast food in the 1960s was McDonald's. And then we had this、uh, kind of renaissance with Chipotle offering everything fresh, everything prepared in the kitchen, and Chipotle has been by far the most successful food company born out of the '90s. 
And now we have companies like Sweet Green and Kava basically producing meals that are going to be more healthy than anything you can make at home. And they have a very strong emphasis on delivery programs. So if the range, selection, and nutritional sanity of food becomes a, a selling point and, and comparable, if not superior, to home cooking, it could really actually replace everything we've uh, gotten used to in terms of shopping and cooking and cleaning. It's pretty remarkable. Um, is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up here? Not, not much, I guess. I would love to hear from our listeners. Tweet at us about you know what are your experiences with these services. They're obviously not perfect today. I'd love to know just uh, how are people using these services? Are they using them as kind of emergency Friday night dinners? Are they using them on a, on a more regular basis to place meals? And do they see uh, kind of how they can, do they see their usage patterns changing in the future based on whether it's delivery cost or, or selection? Uh, I'd love to know how actual users are reacting to these services. How many meals a week do you order? I probably order five, five-ish a week. Probably three lunches and, and 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 two dinners, maybe. I think that's about that's about my you're range. Ahead, so you're ahead of the curve. I'm uh, I'm ahead of the curve and and eating the the thesis line hook and sink sinker. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for joining us today, James. Alrighty, thanks, Sam. Nice talking to you. Arc believes that the information presented is accurate and was obtained from sources that Arc believes to be reliable. However, Arc does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information, and such information may be subject to change without notice from Arc. Historical results are not indications of future results.